It's the football, 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 and sometimes other sports show. Here's your host, AJ Nicoletti. What up? FFFSOSS.com at FFFSOSS, Twitter.com, slash AJ Nick Three. Interesting show on this Thursday. Um, I'm not, I haven't watched enough NBA. Uh, the hockey playoffs have not started yet. Uh, baseball, I haven't watched enough. So, kickoff will be about Jude Bellingham, the English international that the uh, transfer talk is already heating up for when the window opens. Who will pay the price for Dortmund? to send Jude Bellingham to their team for next season. So that's what we'll do in the kickoff into a Champions League quarterfinal first like recap with all four of those matches, then a weekend soccer preview, NFL headlines, PJ Tour, and then Mandalorian Season 3, Episode 7 uh, recap and reaction at the end of the pod, which, I'm going to be honest with you guys, that might be <laughs> a big section of the Mando at the end. So, um... If this is the first pod you're with us, please don't just uh, hang your rating on this one. Go back at some of the football ones. Those are good. Even the Masters preview and recap were very detailed. So, yeah, I had a very detailed last two shows. This one might not be the most detailed, but that's okay. That's okay. So, we'll talk about Jude Bellingham in the kickoff. Then we'll do Champions League quarterfinal first legs. Recap those. Weekend soccer preview after that. NFL headlines. PJ Tour and the Mandalorian at the end of the program. All right, kick it off. The Jude Bellingham race is heating up. Dortmund's position. They've always let players go if the offers have been met. You know, we did it with Holland. We saw that. Um, even Lewandowski before that going to Bayern Munich. So Dortmund have always seemed to have a very good scouting system, a very good youth system, and they bring them into their senior teams at a young age where they can get these nice prices for them. So Jude Bellingham is going to be certainly one of them, and the 19-year-old English international in the middle of the park, you put him in the middle of your team and the spine of your midfield, like that is a guy that you bring in immediately and start immediately. And... A lot of people think he has leadership skills to be the future captain of England, and therefore he can be a future club captain for sure if you're a national team captain, as we know, because some national teams have multiple club team captains on them. So if he can be a national team captain, you can certainly be a club team captain. So 10 goals in all competitions so far this season for the 19-year-old Bellingham. Again, the Dortmund position, they've always let players go for the right price. Now, the teams involved. One team pulling out. Liverpool reportedly pulls out this week. Uh, we'll do more on them in a second. Man City seem to be the reported favorites now. Pep Guardioli bring in another midfielder um, with uh, possibly moving on from Bernardo Silva and aging Gunawan. Um, they could certainly have a hole in their midfield soon enough that Bellingham would come into. So Man City are favorite. Real Madrid could always be a factor, even though their midfield seems so loaded right now when you look at it with uh, the aging Modric and Cruz, but the young guys, Choumeni, Camavinga, Valverde, like 
do they really need another center of the park midfielder? Maybe they do. And maybe they do spring for Bellingham. So they're always a factor. And then a team that you really haven't been hearing a ton about making a move for Bellingham. But what about Bayern Munich, who have the history with Dortmund, even though it's been um, sometimes tumultuous. They do have a history of buying from Dortmund and buying Dortmund's best player. And then <laughs> becoming Bayern's best player. So they've always had a at least transactional relationship with Dortmund and for me they're a dark horse that certainly could pull the trigger especially if a guy like Birch wants to move on because then they become one less in the midfield and then you could bring in a um, Bellingham who could play multiple roles for you in that midfield can play the Goreska role can play the Kimmich role can play a 10 as a Mueller uh, wide midfielder so he can do it all in that midfield position that is for sure so Bayern could be a factor as well as Real Madrid City again seems to be the favorite so far not only because of the uh, price tag and their ability to match it if not get into bidding wars we've seen Liverpool not get into bidding wars you rarely see Munich get into them we know Madrid gets into them all the time it seems like they're the ones driving the bidding sometimes but City, Real, Bayern. That would be the top three right now, considering Liverpool reportedly pulled out. Now, it's very interesting about Liverpool because there was a Norwegian reporter who said that Liverpool placed a bid, and not even an hour later, it seemed like it was 10, 15 minutes, to be honest, that a lot of Liverpool mouthpieces, whether it was Paul Joyce or James Pierce or any of those other writers, uh, either The Athletic or The Echo or whatever you want to call them, those, um, you know, mouthpieces, for another lack of a better word. Liverpool are out of the race. They're reporting they're going to move on to more, more alternatives, not just Jude Bellingham. They felt like if they just went for Jude, they'd be in trouble. But they're going to try to get multiple guys, not just Jude, which, uh, as a Liverpool fan, I seem it's very hard to hear. And it, it upsets me about the ownership, that's for sure. I've been tweeting at the ownership, if you've, if you've seen that. I'm, I'm not very happy because um, for a few years now, the only senior signing in the midfield has been Thiago, which wasn't really a young guy. Um, so they really haven't reinforced the midfield, which is, you know, the engine of your team. The middle of the park, the guys that do the most running. So, I don't know, I just... I don't really get it when you put all your eggs in one basket, then you don't even try to go for that basket. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me, you know? So they miss out on a bunch of midfielders in past windows because they wanted Bellingham, and now apparently they've pulled out for Bellingham. Now, I also have seen the stories of, you know, journalists reporting that they've pulled, Liverpool pulled out of the race for Naby Keita and Allison and Thiago and some of these other um players that they eventually did bring in. Virgil van Dijk, of course. Uh, players that Liverpool eventually did uh, bring in to the Mercy side. But this one, I don't know. It just it makes sense that Liverpool are not in anymore because the price tag, and if you look at the history of John Henry-owned teams across sports, the Red Sox have had multiple superstars that they have not paid the Red Sox ownership, and now in Liverpool, 
you saw how long it was going with Mo Salah about his contract and about paying Mo. So spending all that on one player, I don't think fits the FSG model. But when you've talked about bringing in that player and you haven't made other moves because you want that player and then uh, you pull out of the race for that player before you even get to the window that he's available in, you know, I don't know. That doesn't really sit right with a bunch of fans. And again, if they pull it out at the 11th hour, like, I'm not going to take it all back, but I will say, hey, hell of a job done. Like, you got him. But honestly, the report of Liverpool placing a bid and then less than an hour later, multiple reports saying Liverpool out of the race. It could not have been a worse uh, mood swing. <laughs> That's for sure. That's for sure. Um, So Liverpool are in trouble here. I've said that for a couple years now because they have not done well in the transfer market, whereas you see Man City just reload. Chelsea just brought in an entire new team. Arsenal made some key signings in the summer that have jump-started them and possibly have won them a trophy and, and won them a league if they hold on to the lead they've built so far throughout the season. So, I don't know. For me, it's just a really bad job by Liverpool. And they've left their manager out to dry because he's the guy that has to face the media. He's the guy that is the face of the team for the fans. And I really hope people aren't taking it out on Klopp because he's got nothing to do with it. You don't think he wants Bellingham? Like, please, come on. So, I don't know. It just really rubs me the wrong way as a fan. To look at it unbiased, it's a big step backwards for Liverpool. You can't tell me it isn't because... You can't say, we want this guy, we want this guy, we want this guy, and then you don't get him. That doesn't really suit you to improve. That doesn't really suit you to win trophies. So, it's tough. Now, City, it just seems like every year they get an influential player in their team. You know, you could date it back. Holland, Grealish, uh, Ruben Diaz, uh so many guys that have come in. Mares came from a championship team uh, winning with Leicester City. Like They bring in winners. De Bruyne is just so good. You know, so I, they, they don't need him, but if they got him, I wouldn't be surprised because Bellingham just plays so many roles. He could play in a pep team tomorrow. So City's certainly are the favorites. Real Madrid are always a factor. And Bayern are a dark horse for me because they do have their relationship with Dortmund. They see him probably the most at any team that's scouting him or making a move for him. So that is the update on the Jude Bellingham race. Let's do Champions League quarterfinal first leg recap. Man City and Bayern first. City went at 3-0 at the Etihad. A Rodri left-footed Golasso opened up the scoring in the first half. Then Summer had an unreal kick save on the ground from a Gunawan chance. He was seated, and he threw his foot at it and made the save. Sané nearly leveled it at the end of the first half. Then the second half, Sané almost uh, levels it again. Big save, Ederson. Then Bayern escape a wild sequence in their own box with bad passes and deflection, but City can't get a shot on target. Sané then forces another big save from Ederson, so he had the three best chances for Bayern to that point. Then Bayern make a mistake at the back of a Meccano with the miscue. Uh, good ball from Holland to Silva makes it 2-0. Then 
Alvarez, big chance after he came on for Holland. Uh, good save, Summer. Then a ball into the box. Stones, header towards Holland. He makes it 3-0. So, City commanding 3-0 lead, headed to Germany for that second leg. Bayern with a big mountain to climb now. They are going home, which certainly helps, but a three-goal lead is very tough to uh, turn around, as we know. So, Bayern will have to do that. Teichel, it will be, what is fourth or fifth game in charge? Maybe fourth uh, when that game comes around? No, can't be. Maybe fifth. So, at the Allianz, that will be one that is certainly must-watch. This game was really, really good until City kind of, I don't want to say broke it open, but it was a very entertaining game. Byron had their chances through Sané, couldn't score now. The rumor is that there was a dust-up when uh, after the match in the Bayern locker room with Leroy Sané. Mane didn't like what he did. Sadio Mane on the pitch, and Sadio got in his face, apparently struck him. So that's not good. You don't want to see that from Sadio. But he is a very emotional player if you know your Sadio Mane, Sadio Mane history. So City with a big 3-0 win in their first leg. Inter-Benfica, the other game on Tuesday. Inter went at 2-0 at uh, in Portugal. Onana had a good save. Only a few first-half chances. Zeko had a header wide. Second half, Bastoni, great ball in. Barella on the end of it with his head. He makes a 1-0 inter. Then some big chances for Benfica in front of goal. Three shots, all blocked. At the other end, Vlacadimos, big save. Then Dumfries shot, another big save from Vlacadimos. But a handball given against Joe Mario. Penalty for Lukaku from the spot. Makes it 2-0. Stavisheim chance for Benfica. Ramos effort saved by Onana. So they nearly pulled one back, Benfica do, but Inter win it 2-0 on the night and will come back to the San Siro with that 2-0 lead. Wednesday matches Real Madrid-Chelsea for the third time in three years. These teams matching up in a knockout round in this competition. Real Madrid win this leg 2-0. Thiago Silva back in the team for Chelsea, so a big boost on that back line. Went with an interesting formation. Frank Lampard did. 3-5-2 with Sterling and Jao Felix up front. He plays Conte, he plays Fernandez and Kovacic in the midfield with wingbacks and three at the back. So Jao had a breakaway chance very early. Good save by Kachwa. Then Benzema on the other end, shot saved by Kepa. Vinny goes down in the box, no call. Ball rolls out to Carvajal on a Real Madrid attack. He's chipped cross. Vinicius knocks it down, knocks it on goal. Rebound right to Benzema. Benzema taps it in 1-0 Real Madrid. Sterling nearly ties the match right away at the other end. Um, but a good uh, save from Cachua. Half chance from Reese James, then Valverde on the run shot, save. Second half, good Chelsea buildup, but not a great shot from Jao. Easily save. Modric, chance goes high at the other end. Then a ball over the top for Rodrigo, looks to be in. Pulled back, pulled down by Chilwell from behind. It's a dog's though, denial of an obvious goal-scoring opportunity. Red card, free kick just outside of the area. Albatros, he goes under the wall, saved by Kappa. Good idea. Then... Vinicius, cutback ball to Asensio, who was just subbed on by Carlo Ancelotti. Asensio 
buries it. Great finish. Makes it 2 0. Then re, uh, makes it 2 0 Real. Then in stoppage time, Mason Mount chance. Rudiger blocks it. And that could have brought Chelsea certainly some life into the second leg at Stanford Bridge. But instead, they do not score a goal at the Bernabeu. Real Madrid keep the clean sheet, win 2 0. And though this tie certainly isn't over, but Chelsea will need a special night in London to turn it around because Real Madrid, we know how successful they are in this competition. That is for sure. So at the San Siro in the second match on Wednesday, AC Milan hosted league leaders Napoli. Milan went at 1-0. A Kravashelli chance gets blocked off the line early as Zelinski shot saved. Then going the other way, Liao on a counter he rolls it wide. Then the next Milan counter, Brahimini Diaz driving run. Great run. Ball sends it out to the right. Comes back into the box. Bounces, and it falls right to Benneker. He drills it. 1-0 Milan. Then at the end of the half, a prior header off the bar. Napoli gets it clear. So they go to the second half, and... Napoli has a header chance early, gets saved. Angisa gets a yellow. A few minutes later, Angisa, second yellow, sent off. Napoli down to 10. So Chelsea got uh, a man sent off in Chilwell, as do Napoli. So the two road teams on Wednesday both went down to one man. So not anything Napoli can't turn around, a 1-0 defeat. At the San Siro, it could have been much worse, especially after they went down a man. That's for sure. Chelsea, not in the worst spot. Could be a lot uh, more difficult of circumstances, but they come home only to a 2-0 deficit. Inter in a really good spot. 2-0 going back to the San Siro after winning the first leg in Portugal. And Bayern have a mountain to climb, though they are going back to Germany. They have to turn around a three-goal deficit and not concede. So next week should be a lot of fun. We will preview those matches on Tuesday. Can't wait for those. So let's do a weekend soccer preview now. Starting the EPL, Aston Villa and Newcastle. Villa have certainly been on the bounce. We know how good Newcastle has been all year. Newcastle trying to finish off a really good season with a great placement. You know, a great finish. Get yourself in Europe. Get yourself in Champions League. Give yourself an opportunity to have some big nights in St. James Park in the new year. Um, so that's what Newcastle's fighting for. They go to Villa Park, and Villa Park's going to be rocking. Unai Emery has Aston Villa playing really, really well. They've been on the bounce, and I expect that game to be a really good fun, fun game. Fun game, hopefully a high-scoring one. Chelsea, Brighton. Listen, this is tough for Chelsea. Um, if they had a relegation side midweek here, or, what, or weekend here in between the Real Madrid games, I would say, okay, you know, you don't have to go crazy here, try to get three points. Brighton are going to try to beat them. Not a lot of teams win at Sanford Bridge. If you win at Sanford Bridge, it's like a really big moment for you because of that, you know, Mourinho runs for so long where nobody won there. Um, yeah, you might get a draw, but you didn't win. So Brighton have an opportunity to go there and win. The Zerbi's been a really, really good manager since replacing Grant Potter. It's a weird spot for Frank Lampard. 
their finish in the Premier League is really irrelevant. Um, but they can possibly turn around that two-goal deficit against Madrid. So we'll see what type of Chelsea team Frank sends out there on uh, Saturday. I'd be interesting to see. And Brighton are very good, as we know. Everton, Fulham. Fulham looks safe. Uh, even with the uh, Mitrovic injury, I don't think they'll get pulled into the drop zone most likely, or the fight for relegation, should I say. But Everton need all the points they can get. Uh, a draw here would be big. A win would be gigantic, but you cannot lose. You can't lose this game. No Mitrovic, you can't lose this game to Fulham. That's for sure again, for Everton. So expect the Sean Dyche really s shut it down, try to nip a goal like the old Burnley days. That's the only way I think you see a... Uh, Everton went Southampton Crystal Palace six pointer here. Gonna be a lot of these going down the stretch. A lot of teams are in this relegation battle, and they're gonna be playing each other for um, you know really down the stretch here. So we got one here in Southampton and Crystal Palace. Crystal Palace have been better under Roy Hodgson. Southampton have had multiple managers this season, and they've struggled. Ward Prowse is the leader of that team. We know how great he is off set pieces, but can Southampton have the ball enough? To draw some set pieces. We'll see. Tottenham and Bournemouth. Bournemouth will provide Tottenham some problems because Tottenham don't really want to have the ball and Bournemouth don't either. So it's kind of a battle of who doesn't want the ball the most can counter. And we've seen with Solanke, we've seen with Billing, we've seen with a lot of Bournemouth players, even though they're in this relegation fight, they can go the other way on a counter and score. And Tottenham, we know, with Son... Kulisevsky with Harry Kane. They're counterattack players, as we know, but countering the counter to the counter, it's going to be quite interesting. Tottenham and Bournemouth here. Wolves, Brentford. Brentford, probably more than likely safe. Could be in line for a top 10 finish, as they should be, uh, if they finish it off. But the Wolves... Since Lobotegi's come in, they've played a better style. They've played more discipline. They've gotten some big goals. They've gotten some big clean sheets. And they come back to the Molyneux, taking on a top Brentford team. If Wolves score goals, this could be really exciting because that means it's going to be up and down and Brentford will get their goals as well. But I could really see Wolves trying to pack it in and, and get a point here. I could. Man City, Leicester City. Listen, Leicester City's in trouble. I understand Dean Smith's coming in there to finish the season out and be the manager going forward most likely. Nice manager, but City are on a tear. Um, they're going to press Arsenal down the stretch here. We've seen these pep teams win game after game after game after game after game in these stretch runs. That's all we've seen them do, whether that's to finish off a championship or to chase down a championship or to continue, continue to put pressure on the first place team, City do it down the stretches of seasons. So now in their past, they've been knocked out of Champions League. So if they continue on and they get some more midweek games here, I wonder how that will play it out. But they should have no issue with Leicester City, that's for sure. West Ham Arsenal, London Derby at the London Stadium. City go first this weekend. It's really, it's usually been Arsenal going first, as we've seen. Um, 
can Arsenal, again, match a City result? Because if we see City beating Lesser City, then Arsenal need three points to keep the gap the way it is. And West Ham are really hit or miss. They're a very weird team for me because they got a great driving skill player in Bowen. And then sometimes you watch other games they play and it doesn't look like they have any inkling of trying to go forward or get a goal or have some involvement like that. And Arsenal have been a great side this year, this season with Arteta. And he seems to be pulling the right strings and picking the right uh, teams. And even though they blew a two-goal lead against uh, Liverpool at Anfield, like to survive for that point, a lot of teams would have collapsed there even further and not gotten out of there with a point. Would have blown a 2-0 lead and left with no points. So even though they do didn't hold on to that lead, it's still a good point. I understand people be like, how was it a good point? Well, they didn't lose them. They got one of them. They could have gotten none. Forrest and Man U formerly have a great rivalry. City Ground has been relatively good for Forrest this season. Can they get another big result here against a big club in United that is pushing for top four, is finding their legs with Ten Hag. Um, Rashford has been so good, and he just scores big goal after big goal. And if it's 1-0 United, it's probably going to be Marcus Rashford winner. It just seems like that. And he's been getting big goal after big goal for Manchester United. So it's going to be very, very tough for Forest, even though they're at the city ground. Then we got at Ellen Road, Leeds, Liverpool, a gigantic rivalry of yesteryear uh, when these two teams were battling in the first division of England for so long. Now with Leeds back in the prime, which is great, hopefully they can stay up. Uh, but this rivalry hopefully is around for a while now. Again, Liverpool play nine cup finals, and if they win all nine games, it's still not is probably not going to be enough. So. I don't know what I'm expecting anymore. Um, very, very uh, disappointed with the news about Bellingham at the top of the show, if you weren't uh, familiar. So Liverpool need a big result. Uh, and they play, again, they're playing nine finals. And even if they win them all, they still not, might not make top four. So it is what it is. La Liga. Cadiz take on the Real Madrid, who need Barca to fall. Barca go to Getafe, and Atletico hosts Almeria. Syria, Spezia, Calcio, Lazio trying to finish second. Bologna, AC Milan, Napoli hosts Hellas Verona. Inter against Monza at the San Siro. Juve travel to Sao Solo. Roma hosts Udinese, and Florentina take on Atalanta in Florence. Bundesliga action, Munich, Hoffenheim, Rebel Leipzig, Augsburg, Stuttgart, against Dortmund, Union Berlin against Bochum, Ligue PSG, and Lens. 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 All right, NFL headlines. Lamar update. There's no update. That's the Lamar update. There is no update for Lamar Jackson. No update is the update. The update about Baltimore Ravens quarterback Lamar Jackson is no update is the update. There you go. All right, Aaron Rodgers update. Mark Murphy, president of the Packers. He's done giving updates to the media. Quote, I can't really get into that, unquote. So 
Oh, now you don't want to talk to the media. And also, the Jets have been doing their share of talking to the media, as we know. Which, you know, not shocking, obviously, with the Jetsies. But the ball's in whose court? Who's going to um, be the one to kind of budge first on their asking price or what they're willing to give up? At some point, if you're the Jets, you just got to pull the trigger and be like, hey, we, we got to get this guy in our program. We got to get this guy in our organization. Like, enough's enough. And if you're the Packers, wouldn't you want to be like, hey, we should probably get this guy out of our organization. So I don't know if it's like a game of chicken, but both teams don't really have any leverage. So maybe that's why it's not getting done at all. You know, sometimes when a team has leverage, they're like, okay, you have leverage. Fine. What do you want? But there's no real leverage either way here. So maybe that's why there's nothing happening. The Lions are sending former number three overall pick Jeff Okuda, the corner, to the Atlanta Falcons for a fifth-round pick. Now, you're wondering, wow, a fifth-round pick for a guy that went three overall? Well, he really hasn't been on the field. He got injured his rookie year. He got injured his second year. And even in the third year, he didn't play a full season. So Falcons taking a flyer, giving up a five on a guy that really hasn't played a ton of NFL football. And the Lions say, hey, this is a guy we're not going to sign. This gives us another... Uh, open roster spot and a spot on our corner depth chart because we had guys ahead of him anyway and we get a draft pick in return that's not a bad deal so Lions probably looking to give up Okuda to be fair because um, that you know if you're a third overall pick it's the money slotted so it's going to be a lot of money for a corner okay even on a rookie deal as they say so it's an interesting move for the Falcons to say, hey, let's just take a flyer on a guy, send him a fifth, and see what happens, which, hey, give him credit. Give him credit for trying. And the Lions who say, hey, we don't need this guy. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't work out, but we'll see what happens. They get a fifth in return. Devin White has requested a trade. The Starbucks linebacker wants out of Tampa, but apparently the Bucks do not want to move him, do not want to trade him. So we could get a stalemate there with a the holdout. And as we know, We've seen players sit out entire seasons. Look at Le'Veon Bell. So that precedent has been set. We've seen players sit out entire seasons and wait out contracts and then come back and sign with a new team in, in the offseason. We've seen it happen. So could Devin White be one of those coming up? Or will the Bucks give in and move him? Colts coach Steckton has dismissed claims that the Colts are in for Lamar Jackson. He says they're focused on the draft, which it seems like the Lamar market isn't as what most people thought it would be with the teams in for Lamar. And also, not only the teams not in, but the teams aren't willing to give up maybe what the Ravens are even asking for. So we don't even know. Um, it's quite an interesting situation that Lamar, the Ravens, and any other suitor would find themselves in if they want to make the play for their services of Lamar. But it seems like the Colts are dismissing the claims. They are not in on Lamar. They're focused on the draft. Giants running back Saquon Barkley is not signing the franchise tag, so he's not going to be able for the OTAs and minicams and training camps until they figure out what's going to happen there. So, Interesting storyline with the G-Men and stay in the NFC East very quickly. Jeff Bezos is not going to bid on the Commanders. It seems like uh, his history, owning the Washington Post, 
slamming Dan Schneider. There was animosity there that it doesn't seem like Schneider would ever sell to him. So Bezos is like, eh, you know what? I'm not even going to bid. So I'll take uh, my ownership skills maybe to another team in another league. We'll see. So that's the storyline with the latest of the commanders selling the team. PGA Tour, we're going to the RBC Heritage down there in South Carolina. Unfortunately, Roy McIlroy has pulled out, but it's a very good field since it is an elevated event. He's already pulled out of one elevated event, and you're only allowed to skip one of them per year. So it's going to be very interesting to see the new face of the tour, how he, I don't want to say if he's penalized here, but what plays out because we really don't even know why Rory has withdrawn yet. It could be an injury. It could be, we, we don't know. It, it wasn't released. So Rory has pulled out nine of the top ten, however, still in the field. Rom, Scheffler, Cantley, Shoffley, Spieth, Homa, Hovland, Fitzpatrick, Morikawa, Justin Thomas, the big stars, alongside Sam Burns, Cam Young, Tom Kim, Keegan Bradley, Tony Finau, Sungjae M, Henley, Larry, Poston, Kucher, Connors, very good field in South Carolina. So, again, not the most prestigious tournament, but an elevated event in this new age of the PGA Tour. So it's a big field, and it should be fun. We've seen a lot of good golfers win at the RBC uh, and wear that ridiculous blazer, but John Rom says he's trying to go blazer to blazer with the green check last week and win this, what, what would he call it? I don't know, this checkered red one. Uh, this week, I don't even know which lumberjack I think one, but are there lumberjack in South Carolina? I don't know. I'm going to leave it at that. But yeah, the lighthouse, the lighthouse there on 18, which is very fun. So that is the PGA Tour update for this week. All right. Again, short show when it comes to the sports. I don't know how long this Mando segment is going to last. But again, sorry if this is like one of your first episodes. You're like, what the hell, man? Talk more sports. What about baseball? What about NBA? What about NHL? Yo, I'm not watching all of those, and I don't want to give takes on shows and uh, shows, games and sports. I don't watch at the moment. That's that's what I hate about the take style of content. It's like, oh, you have to have a take on everything. No, you don't. You really don't. And honestly, the people that do have these big shows, like I don't know, Joe Beningo, that wouldn't stay up and watch the games and then go on the air the next day and be like, oh, who won? How did it play out? Like that's it's another story for another day, but. That's something I would never do. Talk about something I haven't watched. That's for sure. Okay, so if you have not watched Mandalorian Season 3, Episode 7, if you're not caught up, here's where you tune out. Thank you. Have a good weekend. Enjoy the footy. We got horse racing coming up soon. That'll be fun in May. Um, horse racing, golf, NFL draft soon, weekend footy. So that's really what the show is going to be like going forward. So enjoy your weekend. Have a good one. If you... Do not watch Mandalorian. See you later. All right. Now let's get to Mandalorian. Season 3, Episode 7, titled The Spies. We begin on Coruscant. Eli King gives her a little TK number to a probe drive, which is pretty cool. That initiates a call with Moff Gideon. We haven't seen him yet this season, and here he is. He's They're talking about the Mandalorians defeating the Pirates in Navarro and that they've teamed up, and he's like, no way. They'd never team up. And she's like, yo, they teamed up. I don't know what to tell you. So then Gideon meets with other Imperial leaders it's the shadow council they're talking about hey we can't just show up and combine forces because that would show uh the new republic how much strength we have so let's not show our strength or meet face to face let's keep doing these meetings which actually is pretty smart and again shows how the rise of the first order happened now gideon questions some of the imperial leaders uh pelon pelron is that his name pelly something like that 
Um, he's talking about this guy, Grand Admiral Thrawn, who's going to be in the Osaka series, a big, big villain in your his in history of Star Wars here that wasn't in one of the movies. So Gideon's basically like, yo, you keep talking about this dude. Where is he? He's never here. Like, what are we doing here? And honestly, I need some more reinforcements from y'all. And you're saying I'm doing cloning projects? I'm not doing those 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 cloning projects. You're doing those cloning projects. So he's obviously keeping what he's doing secret from the rest of the Imperial leaders. But he's like, yo, I need uh, Praetorian guards for me because I feel like I'm getting assassinated. I need new ties. I need bombers. And I need more squats. And they're like, okay, fine. You got it. So that was the cold open. Now we come into the show after the intro. The Mandalorian fleet is arriving in Navarro. Uh, the high magistrate gets alerted by his droid. He's like, hey, there's Imperial ships coming. We're screwed. He's like, those were Imperial ships, dude. They're not Imperial anymore. Look at the the, the Mythosaur thing at the bottom of the ship. They're Mandalorians, dude. Chill. So they, the Mandalorians arrive at Navarro to meet the armorer's crew. The unmasking doesn't really go great. But the armor is like, yo, we're going to have a feast. So they're like, okay, cool. Sounds good. So Grief shows up, and he's like, yo, what's up to the fleet? What's up to the camp? And he's like, yo, I got a surprise for you. Come through. And it's IG-88, now called IG-12, and it's a droid that's now operational for Grogu. So, you know, the floaty hoverboard thing, the getting carried thing, it seems like it's going to be done now because he's got uh, – IG-88, formerly now IG-12, to control. And he becomes a menace because there's a yes-no button here. He's like, yes, I'm ready to do this. Don't tell me what to do. Um, he's getting a snack. He's like, I'll pay for it. Fine. He gets a fruit. He's like, yo. He's, man, Din's like, yo, give that back, dude. He's like, nah, you can't reach this. So he's messing with them. He's just an absolute menace in this thing right now, which is so funny. He's like, yes, yes, yes. No, no, no. Uh, so we get to the feast. Bo gives a really cool campfire speech. She's like, we got to bring the fleet back to Mandalore. We're going to send down a recon squad. We're going to hover the majority of the fleet in orbit of the planet. We're going to find the Great Forge. And then we're going to bring everybody down. And we're going to rebuild our civilization on our planet. And she gets a really good moment there with, she's like, I need people from both creeds to stand up and join this strike force. So, Guys start signing up one by one. Din's like, me and Grogu are going. Um, Wolves is like, I'm going. Pazmus is like, I'm going. The uh, Sasha Banks Mandalorian's like, I'm going. Like, we're going. So, here we go. They land after coming through the atmosphere. They start the search of the Great Forge. So, a skiff of Mandalorians finds them. They were survivors and they followed Bo-Katan, but they couldn't get off planet because they never got a ship. So, then they kind of talk about their stories and whatever. And Bo's like, yo, I did surrender because they said they were going to stop the bombing and save the innocents. But Gideon betrayed the treaty and he took the Darksaber. That's how he got it. I didn't lose it in combat. I had to surrender it, which really sucks. But that's what happened, right? So she basically says the only time we defeat our defeat, like are defeated is by ourselves. Usually when we're united, we win. And, you know, that was against the Jedis. That was against the old, you know, people they had to fight for the planet. Um, so she's all upset. She's looking out at the world, her planet. And Din comes up to her and is like, yo, i got to give you a pep talk. And he's like, your song's not finished. And I'm going to serve you until it's done. Which is like, dude, Din, you didn't have to say that, bro. Like, she's basically like, 
how am I going to unite these people? I only have this sword. And he's like, yo, the people I'm with don't really care about the sword, dude. They just kind of care about people being loyal. So you're doing good by them. So, all right, uh, we're on the skiff, and it's the next day, and there's a board game because they're going to the forge. They're trying to pass the time. And we got a board game. It looks like chess or Chinese checkers or whatever. It's Paz and Wolves. And guess what? They got to fight because, of course, they got to fight. He's like, surrender or we're fighting. He's like, okay, I guess we got to fight, right? You're serious, dude. We got to fight. Okay, we're going to fight. So they're going at it. Din's like to Bo, we got to break this up, right? What the hell are we doing? We, we got to break this thing up right now. We can't have these people fighting. She's like, nobody can break it up. That's not how we are. You know that. Until we hear, no, 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 no. And it's Grogu in IG-12 holding the two of them back with his little droid arms saying no. So funny. Such a good movie because who's going to fight Grogu? You can't fight Grogu because, one, Din's going to literally kill you and everyone else would kill you. Like, you don't mess with the baby. That's for sure. And also, he'd probably use the force on you so quick. It would be no problem. So, um, he breaks it up with the droid. All the meanwhile, the armor is taking the ship back uh, with the wounded to the fleet. So, she's up there. So, the skiff gets attacked by, like, another beast of Mandalore. They have to go underground. They end up reaching the forge. But when they reach the forge, Imperial troopers ambush them. So, it's these dark troopers from... Remember the ones in season two that Luke cut through? Those are droids. These are our people. So he got some funding. They got Beskar armor. And, I mean, this guy's set up. He's set up. That's for sure. So the Mandos end up chasing him back. But it's an Imperial base, and it's a trap. The door slammed. Din's in front of the door. Everybody else is behind it. And here comes Moff Gideon in a Mandalorian suit with the armor. And he's like, I'm sending out the bombers and the interceptors. You brought me the Mandalorian fleet, you bozos. How dumb could you be? So Din gets captured. Gideon basically says, hey, Bo, it's you. Oh, surrender the Darksaber. She's like, nah, we're not doing that. He's like, open the blast doors. Let's kill them all. Let's go. So while they're holding them off, Bo cuts a hole in the wall with the Darksaber. Paz ends up holding the line while the Mandalorians escape. Din gets captured, as we know, with Moth, Gideon, and they fall away. But... Paz basically goes down. He's like, you know, you're going. I'll hold him off. There's too many of them. She's like, no. She's like, there's too many of them. He's like, no, there's not enough, actually. I'm going to shoot everybody. So his gun, like, overheats. He goes hand-to-hand against these people. And he kills them all until we get the Praetorian Guards. And they 3v1 him. They kill him. Shot very reminiscent to um, Krill in Season 1, Episode 7 as well. The end shot with him. Uh, unfortunately killed when they took the baby in season one, the child, and then uh, just now Paz Vizsla holding him off, which is very tough. So the big theory out there, because it's called the spies, we know Ella Kane is a spy, but a lot of people are thinking the armorer is a spy. She has these horns on her helmet, could resemble the Death Watch of Darth Maul. Maybe Darth Maul was working with Gideon. Maybe she's working with Gideon now, but... A lot of people are saying that, which makes me think it's not that. But there was an interesting Reddit post about the title of the episode. And apparently it's about not the traditional definition of spies, but the historical Jewish principle of sending kind of scouts back to the Holy Land to find out new information and uh, see what's going on in the land. So 
that could be it. And Favreau is also of the uh, Jewish faith. And we've also seen a lot of callbacks to religion, if you are religious, of the Judeo or the Christian backgrounds. That some of these things that are playing out in the show, whether the titles or other backgrounds, have been religious tones, that's for sure. So I thought a great episode. I thought the season's been sick. And we get a two-parter to finish where, honestly, next week is going to be wild. Because the Mandalorian fleet is going to be in a space battle against the TIE bombers and interceptors. Din is captured. Bogotan is like, what are they going to do? They're in the Imperial base. Like, they can't go far. They know where they are. Um, it's going to be very... Does Thrawn show up here? So, I don't know. It's it's very exciting if you're a Star Wars fan. And by the way, the Ray stuff, that there's going to be another movie. I'm very glad there's going to be another movie. I think Daisy Ridley was great. And I understand maybe her character wasn't flushed out enough. I don't necessarily agree with that. I just blame J.J. Abrams, Ryan Johnson, and Kathleen Kennedy. Those are three people I blame for Star Wars. I have nothing against the actors. I have nothing against the writers. I have nothing. I blame three people. Kathleen Kennedy, J.J. Abrams, Ryan Johnson. Reen, whatever the hell it is. I almost cussed. Whatever the hell his name is. So, it seems like between... Mandalorian, between Obi-Wan, between some of these other series. Not writing the wrongs of the sequel trilogy, but they're explaining. They're doing some backstory, which is really, really great, which we didn't get in the sequel trilogy. Okay. All right. Um, so that's Mando, Episode 7. We got one more of those next week, Episode 8. And that will be the finale of Season 3. So Tuesday's show, we will recap the weekend soccer, recap the golf, and then look ahead to Champions League. Quarterfinal, second legs which will decide who's playing the Sundays. All right. Have a great weekend. Until then, peace. Football, football, and sometimes other sports show. Sounds like me.